Hello and welcome to Talk and Chop, the uh, official podcast of FSU student newspaper, uh, the FSU and Florida Flambeau. I am back with um, Thomas Martinez. Uh, Thomas has been the sports editor. And uh, Thomas, I understand you're moving on to some uh, some bigger and better things next year. Is that correct? That's true, Logan. Again, it's I'm happy to be back here on the program. I will be the editor-in-chief of the FSU next school year, um, so I'm excited for that. I'm also excited to talk about FSU sports for the time being. That's great. Yeah, and I um, I know you're going to do great things there. I mean, you've done great things as long as I've been there, and um, I, I'm excited to see where the FSU will go, even if I won't be at FSU anymore next year. But, um, I, I mean, I know the biggest story here, um, FSU, it's, it's looking pretty sweet for them. They beat uh, UNC Greensboro last Saturday uh, to move to the round of 32. And then they beat Colorado. I thought that they were 71-53. I thought that they were much more – that was a game where I was really questioning whether or not, you know, they would be able to stop McKinley Wright and Jabari Walker and these guys that just annihilated Georgetown. But it, but it was the exact opposite. I mean, FSU has just really impressed me. And then obviously they'll play Michigan um, on on Sunday at 5 o'clock. That'll be a, a big game, obviously, especially for anybody who's watched FSU basketball in the last few years. But, uh, Thomas, what are you seeing out of this team so far? Because I think they're definitely playing at a very high level and doing some things that we didn't necessarily see as much in the regular season. Yeah, Logan, for sure. The last two games, Florida State has elevated its defense to a level that we might not have seen all year long. You know, a lot of this year we've been talking about, okay, this is one of Leonard Hamilton's best team offensively. Uh, They led the ACC in points per game in the regular season. Um, You know, the defense hasn't been as consistent as it was last year. And that's part of the reason why you saw Florida State struggle so much on the road, because they didn't seem to bring the same level of defensive intensity away from the Tucker Center as they did in the Tucker Center. Um, And, you know, I was talking to Ben about this. Obviously, Ben, you know, for the FSU, he does the live streams after the basketball games. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I was I was telling him I hadn't seen FSU record an impressive win since they beat Virginia. And I think that game was in early to middle February. Um, So the Colorado game was probably the first game since then that I was impressed by, you know, obviously in the first half against Colorado, you know, Florida state, they only ended up going into the locker room up 24 to 20. It's a very ugly first half. There was a lot of off ball fouls called in that game. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the second half, we finally started to see part of that Florida state offense that has, you know, made them a four seed in the NCAA tournament you know, dropping 47 points in the second half and really giving Colorado no chance. Yeah, I completely agree, especially at first. I just want to echo that point that you made about some of the uh, off-ball fouls. I think we've definitely seen a lot of interesting calls um, in this tournament so far. But you're absolutely right. This defense, I think, has just been at a level that, you know, we haven't really seen it at for a while. And I know I, I wasn't the most, um, I, I don't want to say unsupportive, but I, I wasn't exactly praising FSU's defense much on here um, earlier in the season. I think that they've definitely stepped it up. Um, and I, I think quite honestly, they really kept a minute against uh, UNC Greensboro when the offense was kind of 
not looking as really not looking as good as the defense was. Um, I mean, they've just forced a lot of difficult shots. I think they've really kind of locked teams down in the, uh, in the interior uh, very well so far. And I mean, they, they gave up only 54 to UNC Greensboro and then only 53 to Colorado. So I think by, by any means, especially after, I don't think anybody expected Colorado to repeat what they did against Georgetown, you know, when they hit 11 threes in the first half, 16 threes total. I mean, I, I think that we knew that there was going to be some kind of a course correction there, but I, I was a little worried coming into that game about how, you know, dangerous Colorado might have been. But um, I, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about the FSU offense. Um, I mean, it didn't look amazing against UNC Greensboro. They were able to get enough done. Um, shooting hasn't really been an issue, but we have seen some turnover problems. I, I, I'd say that continued into the first half a little bit against Colorado, and then that kind of dialed down a little bit. I, I think FSU's offense was about as good as we've seen them um, at any point, really, in the second half against Colorado. But um, against Michigan, I, I want to ask you this, Thomas. Um, I, I've seen that Michigan has forced very relatively few turnovers. I think they've got a, a sub or a negative turnover margin, and they've only forced, gosh, I want to say it's uh, 110 turnovers. To, oh, forgive me, 259. I don't know what I was thinking about there. But um, so they're not forcing, they're forcing about 10 turnovers per game. So do you think, obviously, there's a, a lot of other variables at play here, but turnovers have kind of been an issue for Florida State in the latter half of this season. Do you think we'll see, you know, if you had to put your money on an overall performance, do you think we'll kind of see a slower, more turnover-prone game like we did against UNC Greensboro or late in the ACC tournament? Or do you think we'll see an offense, you know, that really kind of had it going in the second half? Do you think they'll stay on that wave, or, or what do you think we could expect? Listen, as the old adage goes, defense wins championships. You know, Michigan had or really has a top 10 defense in the country and a top 10 offense for that matter. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking back at their last game against LSU, LSU only turned over the ball three times and they ended up losing by eight points. So as you said, you know, Michigan, they're not necessarily known for turning the ball over very much. And Florida State, on the other hand, they're – You know, they average more than 10 turnovers per game. Um, So at the end of the day, I think the big difference, or I don't want to say the biggest difference, but the biggest key for Florida State to win is to kind of continue that defensive intensity that they've shown because I think Florida State could pretty much score on anybody in the country. Um, I think the best, you know, baseline that they had in the ACC was Virginia, and Florida State ended up putting, I believe, 80-plus on Virginia. Obviously, Georgia Tech in the ACC tournament, that was a different story. Florida State, you know, they ended up turning the ball over 25 times in that one. I don't foresee that happening again. If it does happen again, um, yeah, Florida State's certainly going to lose. But if they could keep their turnovers to around, it was against uh, Colorado, I think it was 15, maybe a little bit less than that, they'll be in a good situation. Going back to the Colorado game, (laughs) the fact that, for once, a team had more turnovers than Florida State. Colorado, Colorado ended up with 19. That certainly put Florida State in a good position. Also, you know, a big key to winning, you know, to surviving and advancing in March is hitting free throws. Um, Florida State hit 81% of their free throws against Colorado. So it might seems it might seem like a small thing, but when you're playing such a good team 
like Michigan, um, you know, things like free throws might end up being the difference. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you talked about this matchup. I, I could see this Florida State-Michigan matchup being the best matchup of the Sweet 16. You know, there's been so many upsets to this point in the tournament. And, you know, it's one of the rare spots um, in everyone's bracket um, that the teams that were expected or at least somewhat expected to get to that point in the tournament actually did it. Um, and, you know, a lot of people like to argue that Florida State at their best um, played better than, you know, the four seed line. Um, if they improve offensively, I think um, that's going to be an incredible matchup. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think it's, you know, maybe we're biased in saying this, but I think Florida State has about a, as high a ceiling as just about anybody in this tournament. And, and maybe that's just because um, we've seen them play so much. But I'll never forget, after that Virginia game, they asked um, – I, I can't remember who it was on Virginia, but there was a player who was asked in their postgame conference, what did that defense remind you of? And they said Gonzaga. You know, and right now this tournament – is starting to look like it is Gonzaga's tournament to lose. So um, I, I think FSU, if they're playing on a level that they did kind of later in ter- in conference play, like they did in that second half against Colorado, I could see them definitely taking it to Michigan. But that'll be an interesting matchup, obviously, for anybody that was following FSU basketball in 2018. That was a really just a difficult loss to Michigan. Um, final score was 58-54. to 54. Again, kind of a, a little bit of a low-scoring affair. Um, and that was in the Elite Eight as well. Now FSU is playing for that ticket to the Elite Eight. But um, I want to ask you about um, a couple of guys that I, I've been thinking about who, um, you know, we've seen a few decent performances from. Um, Balsa Kovrovica, I mean, I think he was playing some of the best basketball that he, he's played, like, all season long, uh, late in the ACC tournament. And then against uh, UNC Greensboro, he was um, just looking phenomenal. And I I know in the post-game conference after that game, uh, Coach uh, Leonard Hamilton said that he was trying to play to exhaustion and then have to be kind of taken out to to recuperate. And I I know overall that's a big component of his approach. It seems like rotate guys in for five, six minutes at a time, have them just go, you know, 100%. And, and then keep guys fresh that way. But uh, against Colorado, I think he was one of the players that really kind of had a, a not a great performance. You know, he got benched after kind of some, you know, rough play under the basket. I think he drew a foul, and then he ended up fouling out. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, do you think he might bounce back? And, and then somebody that I've talked about a little bit with Ben, who I think looked a little bit better, but we were kind of discussing – a tendency for this offense as of late and by as of late, I mean, I guess in the North Carolina game, a little bit in the Georgia tech game, certainly. And then a little bit in the UNC Greensboro game for the offense to kind of stall out for, for certain periods. And I was thinking that part of that reason was just some of the MJ Walker. I don't think had been at a hundred percent for a while. And I think he, I mean, obviously he was scoring a lot of points, but I think his ability to, you know, he'd obviously be racking up a lot of assists, getting a lot of offensive rebounds. I think he was just opening up opportunities for other people and having him not fully there or having him not on the court kind of drag the offense down as a whole. Now, I don't want to say that he's the guy who, th- who FSU runs through. We all kind of know that there isn't really a single player that this team, you know, lives or dies without. 
But um, I want to ask you, you know, do you think I'm wrong in that in either one of those assessments? Or, you know, is there anybody else that you've kind of got an eye on uh, to play well? I know Anthony Polite had a fantastic game. But outside of, you know, who are you looking at as we go into the Michigan game? No, I'm, I'm looking at MJ Walker and I'm looking at Scotty Barnes. Um, you mentioned that MJ's probably not 100%. I would say Scotty as well. I would mm-hmm. say also not playing at 100%. Neither of them have scored um, in double digits in the tournaments to this point. Um, so if there's somebody that could step up, I remember I remember 2018 um, – or no, it wasn't 2018. It was 2019. Trent Forrest, you know, he was dealing with a foot injury all year. He delayed getting surgery. Uh, and the last game of the season in the Sweet 16 and a loss to Gonzaga, um, he pretty much carried Florida State, put 20 up, put 20 plus points up. Um, I'm looking to see if MJ Walker has that in him. Um, I don't know because he's not fully healthy. Um, as to the offense stalling out, I don't know. Basketball is really a game of ebbs and flows. Um, there's been a lot more ebbs, I guess, recently for Florida State. Um, but, no, I, certain, I certainly think that they reached a good level of consistency at the end of Colorado um, that could carry over against Michigan. Anthony Polite, I mean, have a moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, have the best moment of your career and the biggest game of your career to that point. I'm scoring 22 points. And I think that's indicative of just the way that Leonard Hamilton teams play. Also, the fact that Walker and Barnes haven't scored double digits yet, but the team is in the Sweet 16. You know, how many teams are there in America where your two best players could be off consistently and you're still moving on? There aren't too many. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of like a who's going to step up this game um, for Florida State. That's kind of the way it's always been usually not to the point where one guy's scoring 22 points. You know, if you score 22 points for Florida State, that's like scoring 30 points for somebody else just because there are so many different guys competing for minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy that I'd like to look at is Raekwon Gray. You know, you said that this team doesn't really have a guy. Um, I, I would argue that if there is a guy that the offense runs through, it's Raekwon Gray. Um, he's certainly somebody who pretty much does everything – I think for the last three years, Florida State's had a few of those guys, one being the person I mentioned earlier, Trent Forrest, and then obviously Terrence Mann before him. Um, Raekwon Gray, somebody who's, you know, rising up uh, NBA draft boards just because he pretty much he does everything. He's a good passer. Um, He's a good rebounder and he's just good at getting to the lane. And and he's probably in the best shape of his life as well. Um, So, yeah, we'll see what happens against Michigan. Um, you know, it might not end up being one guy. It might just be five or six guys dropping 10 points and Florida State peaks out a win. Um, or maybe Florida State turns over the ball a lot and that ends up being the difference in a loss. I, I don't see Florida State getting blown out against Michigan. I think that it's hard to get blown out when you just have so many options on offense that, you know, somebody's just going to step up any given day. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly excited to see what happens. You make a great point, and it is really exciting to think that hypothetically, anybody, um, or I, I shouldn't say anybody on this team. I don't know that you know we're, we're necessarily expecting the Green Vipers to have a great day, but um, you know, virtually any of the the starting lineup or anybody that's rotating in could just 
have a, a performance of a lifetime. You know, you, you do make a good point there. And that is really something exciting to think about. And I do appreciate you kind of checking me there on Raekwon Gray. Um, I, I guess the point I was trying to make is FSU, it's not a guy in the sense that, you know, some of these other teams have looked like um, the closest example. And even this isn't a one man band um, would have been like somebody like Oklahoma State and Cade Cunningham or like right. uh, o- Oklahoma and Trey Young when he was there. Um, I mean, remember that tournament? That was where Oklahoma, I think, was some astronomically high seed just because Trey Young was having a phenomenal season. And then they lost in the first round. So um, uh, in any case, though, one of the um, last questions that I want to, you know, there's been a little bit made about um, Isaiah Livers for Michigan. Um, I mean, he's been – Michigan was one of, the, I think, the most consistent teams in the Big Ten this year. They had him. He had a stress fracture in his foot. Um, he's been out indefinitely. It doesn't appear that he'll be playing against Florida State. But it seems like uh, Michigan has kind of settled into a a good spot without him. Um, they've got that that seven one center Hunter Dickinson. They've got Franz Wagner, who um, uh, the younger brother of Mo Wagner, who obviously went off in that twenty eighteen game. So hopefully there's not another Wagner to make the Seminoles miserable. Um, and then Eli Brooks uh, and and Shonda Brown both had fantastic games uh, against LSU. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, I think, um, is there anything in particular that, I, I guess this would be one of my final thoughts. Is there anything in particular, I mean, we talked about the defense and um, it, it's easy to say if the defense keeps playing it the way it does, that um, the team could do pretty well. But do you think there's anything in particular that FSU needs to hone in on in order to win this game? Yeah, I think rebounding. I think Florida State needs to be better on the boards. I think something that I saw against Colorado and something that I've seen consistently this season from this team is that sometimes they're a little bit lackadaisical when it comes to rebounding, when it comes to boxing out. I mean, we talked about how Balsa had honestly a pretty bad game against Colorado. He ended with five points, five fouls, and zero rebounds in 11 minutes. Um, That certainly can't happen again against um, Michigan. Raekwon Gray is usually the leading rebounder for Florida State. It's usually Gray or um, Malik Osborne. But, you know, there's a reason Michigan's a number one seed. You know, they're, they're not only are they very deep, you know, they haven't really felt the absence of livers. Um, they're also pretty tall. They're going to be able to match up with Florida State better than most teams. So that rebounding advantage you know, that advantage in picking off passes on defense that Florida State usually has. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of that is mitigated, um, and it's going to really make Florida State have to be more efficient offensively and in getting offensive rebounds, getting defensive rebounds. Um, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal against Colorado because Colorado just didn't match up against Florida State um, height-wise. They try to beat Florida State from outside similar to how they beat Georgetown and yeah, it just ended up not working for them. I think Michigan has, I think Colorado had maybe one or two ways to beat Florida state. Uh, I think there are a lot of ways that Michigan could beat Florida state and vice versa. Um, that's what mm-hmm. makes such a great matchup. Um, but you know, we've talked about him a lot. Balsa Koprovica, he certainly has to step up and the good news is you can't do much worse than how he did against Colorado. And honestly, I don't know um, if he was, up or you know if there was anything wrong with him um i know a lot of players are playing banged up 
um, this late in the season. So just his presence is a plus. But, yeah, if he can improve upon that performance, Florida State fans might be feeling good about their chances. Absolutely. And I, I think the way that I would diagnose Balsa as of late is, um, I mean, we've seen him at his best, I think, in this tournament. Um, just some of the plays that he makes, especially on defense. And I think he's finding kind of a consistent role on offense uh, to, to just get points through. Um, he's looking fantastic. I know against UNC Greensboro, Ben and I talked about it a little bit. And obviously against Colorado, that was a dud. Um, I, but against UNC Greensboro, I thought that there was a, a few moments where he was just kind of um, under the basket. We get a rebound. And, and instead of going up, he's just like dribbling or, you know, not, not necessarily boxing out. That's another great thing that uh, you mentioned there. Um, we've kind of seen him at, at, at his best. And I don't want to say his worst but kind of peaks and valleys in his performance. So, um, and I, 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 my theory is that might be to some degree a function of what Coach Hamilton was talking about, that if he's willing to play at maximum exertion, then you might see some of those lapses. I would hope that yeah. he, he can find kind of an equalized point to still play at high performance, at a high performance without seeing those kind of gaps in play. But, uh, but overall, I, I mean, I think that, if FSU can kind of keep this defense humming, which um, they've shown that they haven't really shown any indication of that. Um, I think if Raekwon Gray is another strong game and he's been somebody who's been about as consistent as you can get, I think for this off, um, on offense and on defense. Um, and then if FSU can kind of avoid turnovers and, and make shots when it counts, that's something I'm not really worried about, but I, I, I expect that Michigan will be getting in their faces all afternoon. Um, I think that that'll be important. But, um, I mean, on that note, I know we want to get to a couple other things. Um, Thomas, any final thoughts from you uh, before we, we talk about women's basketball a bit and before this game on Sunday? Yeah, one last thing about men's basketball. Uh, it seemed like the second half against Colorado was the first good half of basketball that that team had put together in a few weeks. Uh, it seemed mm -hmm. like at the beginning of the tournament, you know, the team was – Maybe they were feeling the pressure of the tournament. Maybe they were trying too hard because obviously, you know, they, they don't want anything more than to win a national championship. Um, I think the fact that they're playing the number one seed, that the pressure isn't going to be on them necessarily against Michigan. And the fact that they've, you know, been able to deal with some adversity now in the NCAA tournament, I think that sets them up well um, for a potential upset on Sunday. Um but yeah, I'm just, I'm just, you know, Florida State fans should certainly be excited that their team has reached this stage. You know, I told Ben um, on the live stream after the round of 32 game, if your team makes a sweet 16, that's a successful season already. So anything that happens from this point on is even more for Florida State fans. That's true. Yeah, and I, I think that um, this will be a tough matchup for sure. But it's, it's a season that I think everybody can be kind of you know, it, 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 not necessarily satisfied with, oh, we just got to the Sweet 16. But in any case, you can't say, oh, this was a really just, you know, stinker of a year. So um, uh, certainly a lot to be excited for. Um, unfortunately, so I do want to move to women's basketball now. Uh, um, I think that so there was a first that first round loss to Oregon State. Um, and it, it was really just kind of a, a rough loss. The final score was 83 to 59. Um, with Oregon State obviously prevailing there. And it did seem like, um, I mean, the score was tied 16 to 16 uh, going into the second quarter. Um, after that, it seemed like um, Oregon State was able to figure out um, 
Morgan Jones um, and really just kind of contain her pretty well. Um, Bianca Jackson had the best game on offense for Florida State. But, um, I mean, really it looked like uh, Oregon State was able to just make, you know, some pretty good shots. FSU had a hard time defending them um, in the paint and on the perimeter and elsewhere. Um, They did seem to hit a lot of open threes as well. Um, And then uh, just a a really kind of difficult time stopping um, uh, Aaliyah Aaliyah Goodman, uh, who ended up putting up 20 points for uh, Oregon State. Um, I mean, it it seemed to me, Thomas, that women's basketball, we we saw them do very well. It was just a team that I think, I mean, they had a lot of challenges this year. You you can say that. It it was a team, though, that I, I really felt like, Many games, it was kind of a question mark to me how, how they might have performed. And maybe I wasn't as plugged in as, as I could have been. I, I know we got very strong campaigns overall from Morgan Jones and Bianca Jackson. And one thing I'll get into later is that many of these players will be returning. So it is really, I think, that, that's a lot of excitement for next year. But in that Oregon State game, I mean, is there anything I missed that you think um, was a factor for FSU? Um, it, it seemed kind of like after that first quarter, Oregon Oregon State just had their number. Yeah, I think Oregon State was a very good basketball team. I think they were probably a little bit underseeded. Um, Florida State, they were just outmatched size-wise. I mean, they were out-rebounded 43-26. to 26. They weren't able to get off as many quality shots as Oregon State did. You know, that's part of the reason why Florida State shot 35% from the field and Oregon State shot 55% from the field. You know, if we're looking at this season as a whole, I think it was very difficult for this team to build any sort of momentum as this season progressed. Obviously, they got the big upset win against Louisville that pretty much assured their NCAA tournament status. Um, But aside from that, it was, you know, a couple wins here, a couple losses there, and another COVID pause. It, The team, yeah, they were not able to get, you know, any big momentum going. You know, the good news for Seminoles fans is that they're bringing a top 15 recruiting class in. Um, obviously, you know, credit has to go to Coach Wyckoff um, stepping in in the absence of Coach Semra. Um, this whole year, um, I guess the expectation is that Semra will be back in the fall. Um, I mean, you know, we're not sure yet, but I think that's the expectation. Um, and, yeah, it's a young team. This was a young team last year. I mean, it was a lot of freshmen last year. You know, the players are getting older and it's going to set them up nicely for the next couple of years to, you know, kind of build from this season and all of the challenges that they face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, getting everybody back. I, I don't want to ruminate here, but I know that um, Coach Wyckoff and Coach Semerall had talked and I, the, the indication that I had heard, uh, I, again, I, I don't want to be suggesting anything here, was that uh, Coach Semrod indicated to her that, um, you know, she's got the head coaching experience now. So, you know, it, 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 that'll be interesting to see what happens um, with Coach Wyckoff next season. Um, again, I, I don't know anything on that front. But, um, I mean, overall, yeah, it wasn't really the, by the fault of this team. It's just a lot of um, – you know, a lot of challenges, obviously having a, you know, new coach for the year, somebody who's been around the program for quite a while, but still that that's, that's a lot. Um, and then with COVID, even when there wasn't a pause, it seemed like, I think there was a stretch of like 10 games or something where there are eight games where they're shooting up with 10 or fewer players um, that were eligible, right. you know, just kind of 
hard to, to really get anything super, super consistent going. And to some degree, they, they definitely suffered from the same thing that FSU men's basketball suffered from in that they really weren't ever able to bring the same intensity on the road that they could bring at home. Um, I, I know like later into the season, this team was uh, undefeated at home, I think until January or February. But, um, you know, like you said, that there is a top 10 recruiting class coming in. And it does appear that everybody, with the exception of uh, Tiana England, the, the transfer point guard, will be returning for next season. You know, they'll, um, you know, barring any late transfers or anything like that, um, we should expect most of uh, the current uh, women's team to be there. And I, I think that's particularly exciting. We saw, I think, Morgan Jones really come into her own. Um, she had been obviously pretty good the past few seasons, but um, with Naj Wolfolk, uh, Nikki Akamu, and, and Kai Gillespie uh, remain, uh, kind of leading the way for the team last season, I, I think it was kind of harder for her to carve out a role. And, and I think she definitely has, has done that. I mean, there's many games I can think of against Clemson, against Louisville, where um, she really just carried the team. I think Bianca Jackson – uh, really, really stepped up as well. Uh, she transferred from South Carolina, which I, I think that's interesting. Had Oregon won or Florida State beat Oregon State, they would be playing South Carolina, who has just been a uh, persistent thorn in the side for Florida State in the NCAA tournament. Um, I remember covering it in 2019 when they lost to South Carolina in, I believe it was the second round. Um, and they had lost, I think, in, in, in 2017. And it might have been 2015 as well. So, I mean, that's just a, that would have been a, a real matchup that they're amped up to win much like uh, the men's team is against Michigan. Um, but I, I think that's, there's a lot of excitement to look for, for next year. I think um, Morgan Jones, uh, um, Morgan Jones, Bianca Jackson should step up a lot. Courtney Weber, I think is somebody who also had um, started to really kind of, find her role in this offense and this is a younger team too so I think this this is a much needed season for them to really kind of get that chemistry um you, you know figure out um and then next year really kind of ball out yeah absolutely I think they have a lot of pieces to build upon for next year I think just the fact that they made it to the tournament this year given all of the challenges that they faced is was impressive in itself um, you have pretty much all of your contributors coming back. Plus, you have a top recruiting class. I think next year's team could certainly, you know, compete for a top five seed in the NCAA tournament. You know, given the fact that um, they'll be able to go through a regular off season together and not, you know, have to deal with so many, you know, obstacles in their way. On top of that, you know, having a new head coach, as you mentioned, obviously somebody who'd been with the tour. Um, sorry, with the program for so long. But that in itself, on top of having COVID, you know, issues throughout the program and with opponents, that was almost, you know, too tall of a mountain to overcome for Florida State. They kept the tournament streak alive. Um, and I think they have a lot to be proud of, honestly, going into next year. Um, just the fact that they were able to overcome all of those challenges. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think there was just a, a, a mountain. For, for this team to um, overcome. And I'm definitely excited. And I got to remember um, against that, when they played Syracuse in the ACC tournament, 
they were very close to winning that game. I think that was FSU's in hand until Syracuse hit that buzzer beater uh, to really kind of close it out. And I, I think that was kind of, you know, let a little bit of air out of the balloon there for sure. Um, I do want to touch on uh, baseball has been lighting it up recently. Thomas, any, any final thoughts from you on the women's team before we, we move in that direction uh, for our kind of final stop of the night? I, I think they have a very high ceiling next year. Um, you know, looking at players like Morgan Jones, Bianca Jackson, Valencia Myers, I think that, you know, they have a few rotation pieces that could really take this team to the next level. I know, you know, they lost in the ACC tournament championship game last year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the team, you know, is competing for silverware again next year. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely um... – on the radar for FSU for sure. And then somebody who I, I think if, if or a, a team, I suppose, a better way to phrase it, that could certainly be competing for hardware uh, next uh, this season, if they're able to keep up this pace, Florida State baseball. I mean, I, I we saw kind of a, a tough start to the season. Uh, There's that sweep to uh, Pitt with just missed opportunities all over the place that I think really surprised a lot of people. And, and then uh, a bit of an up-and-down series before that against North Florida. But that has been followed up with, uh, I think, since I last talked to uh, – I, I remember talking to Gary, and, and he had a little bit of criticism to level. But since then, we've seen a pretty solid series against Virginia, a uh, series win against Virginia Tech, and then blowouts of Florida – and Miami, and then last night a um, an up and down victory, but a victory nonetheless with a a walk off walk against um, UCF and, and Thomas. It kind of seems like everything's been going right for this team. I mean, they hit three thirty six in the last week. Uh, I mean, I mean three thirty six. One out of every over one out of every three uh, Seminoles coming to the plate is getting a hit. Um, they lowered their team earned run average to 276 prior to the UCF game. I mean, it was just everything. Everything was going at, at the right pace. I don't know that we'll see this maintained, but it, it looked like just about the best week that you could see. Um, uh, Thomas, what's kind of your at first blush? What would you see working? I mean, it's kind of shocking that they, you know, they outscored Florida. They played Florida once last week and then set at Miami. Um, outscoring those two teams by a combined 44 to four. Um, as you said, after a, a fairly disappointing start to the season, it seems like the, the last few years we've seen a similar trend from Florida state baseball world. They'll start the season a little bit slow and then they'll just go on a run like a month into the season or a few weeks into the season. And we're kind of at that point right now. Listen, when we talked about this team or, you know, when we thought about what the strengths of this team was before the season started, you know, a lot of attention was paid to the pitching. Obviously, Carson Montgomery, the way that he pitched uh, well yesterday against uh, UCF, nine strikeouts, eight in the first three innings. He put the team in a good situation. Um, I believe they were up four to two. Um, and then UCF scored a few runs uh, toward the end of the first nine innings. And then Florida State ended up winning an extra innings. Um, but yeah, the starting pitching we always knew was going to be the strength of this team. And it was just really about, you know, if the bats were going to give enough support to that pitching. And that's really what the difference has been in the last, I guess, two weeks. Um, you know, seeing guys like 
I mean, Tyler Martin hitting his first home run as a seminal yesterday. Um, Robbie Martin is another guy who has been very consistent hitting 333 so far for the year. Um, it seems like everything's coming together all at once. Um, you know, obviously the standard at Florida state for Florida state baseball is you got to make the NCAA tournament. It's happened for 40 plus years in a row now. Um, this team right now looks like they're in very good shape to, you know, not only make the tournament, but, you know, potentially host a regional. Yeah, no, the, the, I think the ceiling is definitely extremely, extremely high for this team. I, I think the only kind of weakness, and I, I don't want to say a, a crazy weakness necessarily, but I think the, the bullpen, and we did see it a little bit last night, has been like the, the one soft spot at times for, for this team and, and not everybody. I mean, I think we've seen, you know, uh, Clayton Kwiatkowski has still been, I mean, the veteran guy in the bullpen, he's been really great at getting lefties, especially out. Um, I think Hunter Perdue, Davis Hare, uh, they're having, you know, really solid season so far. I don't know if Chase Haney is necessarily at, you know, the level that uh, FSU fans might be expecting, but um, I mean, overall it's really been, you know, the offense has really kind of finally gotten it together consistently because, you know, we were seeing in those early games, Tyler Martin was still getting on base, like, you know, it was going out of style. Matt Nelson was still hitting a lot of home runs. And, um, you know, that bottom of the order was still kind of pesky, but they just seemed to really, really struggle for a while with runners on base. Um, I know in those early series we saw, it seemed to be almost a, a game, every game occurrence that the the Knowles would get load the bases and not be able to get anybody home which has got to make meat want to rip his hair out um in in the dugout but um I mean since then it's been just about everything clicking all at the same time and one one of my favorite developments I've got to say has been Parker Messick I mean going the two-way route I don't I don't know that I had that on my uh bingo card so, so to speak this season, but that's really, I think kind of a great shot in the arm um, that, you know, we might've wanted to see, I guess, you know, looking up and down this roster, um, I, I don't think Reese Albert is where he wants to be. He's hitting 191 um, so far. And uh, I mean, Nander DeSatis hitting 242, not ideal, but I mean, again, he's, his contributions with the glove really make up for it. And again, somebody that I want to, I feel like I haven't quit beating the drum on this. I interviewed him early in the season um, when I when I interviewed Brett Nevitt on this episode from uh, uh, Tomahawk Nation. He was uh, saying similar things. Uh, is Matt Nelson? He's got eight home runs so far this season. You know, he came in and he was saying, "Oh, you know, I've really been working on my power. I'm in basically the best shape that um, you know I've ever been in my life." And I mean, it is you know playing out on a, on a grand scale for sure this season. So I, I, I think that as this team really moves into, I mean, we've got a weekend series here against uh, Wake Forest, and then they'll be playing North Carolina, Louisville, um, and another matchup with Florida, and then getting into the core of ACC play. I, I think that this team is really kind of starting to find a, a, a happy medium. For sure. And listen, they're not going to continue to dominate teams at the clips that they've been doing so in the last two weeks. Um, but, you know, they have, as you said, they have multiple contributors from years past that are still, you know, not performing at the levels that they performed at, like a Reese Albert, 
um, like DeSeda's. And then obviously, you know, the guy who has the most appearances on the mound in Chase Haney, you know, the guy who's wearing number 11 mm-hmm. this year, you know, with a 5.0 ERA. I think Seminoles fans certainly expect that trend to change. I think he'll probably settle down as the year progresses. Um, but yeah, just the fact that you have young guys like Parker Messick, like Carson Montgomery, that are pretty much, you know, putting your team, you know, in prime position to win ball games, and then the bull ca- the bullpen has stalled at times. Um, I think that's just, you know, that's just part of getting into the thick of the season, especially with, and you know, I don't want to bring it up again, but you know, COVID impacts all of college sports. You know, baseball hasn't, you know, they've probably had some pauses too. They've definitely had things affected. They only played around 20 games last year. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of guys who are still rusty and who are still trying to adjust um, to this season. And I think the team as a whole is doing a good job or has done a good job in the last few weeks of kind of getting back to that standard that Florida State baseball kind of expects certainly i i think that um they've really gotten back to that and one one kind of thematic thing i guess is, is how i might describe it is you cannot accuse me and this coaching staff of pulling the plug on anything too early by any means um i mean case in point i could point to parker messick who what i had thought early in the season was like okay maybe the pressure of being the number one starter on, on Friday nights for this team. Maybe that was getting to his head. Um, that seems like it, it. Any thoughts of that have really just been nipped in the bud recently. And, and the starting pitching staff as a whole, um, Connor Grady has looked fantastic at the back end. Uh, Parker Messick, obviously looking great. Bryce Hubbard has had a, a heck of a start to the season and even pitching in kind of these long relief gigs that he's been in. Um, I, I think that those those three guys, the kind of the usual suspects to start games, uh, have looked fantastic. Um, and then even Carson Montgomery, obviously, I mean, you talked about him. He's had a fantastic start, just smoked UCF uh, last night. But then on the opposite side of the coin, guys like um, uh, Chase Haney, who, you know, got a five ERA. I think we can agree he's probably not pitching at the level that he wants to be or that really anyone wants him to be. Obviously not catastrophically, but. He's still leading the team in appearances. He's got three more than the next few. Uh, Davis Hare and Jonas Scalaro, who uh, Jonas Scalaro, I mean, talk about somebody pitching out of jams. Yeah. You know, he does not he does not get the easy assignments, it seems like. You know, and, and yesterday I know he came in and was able to kind of douse the fire um, when UCF had two runners well, on late see, in the ninth. that ball game. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and that was, you know, something that, he's been kind of a really trusty, you know, you can put him in and he's going to get some clutch outs. So, um, but I mean, I think that that kind of, you know, from a player's perspective, it's got to give you some kind of reassurance when you're playing for a manager that, you know, if you have ups and downs, you know, it's not like a, you know, one bad, one slip up and you're gone or or you're demoted to a, a, a less meaningful role necessarily. I think that, um, you know, kind of that assurance gets the best out of these players, honestly, at at least in this week-long run that we Certainly, because you're just trying to find a balance of not only, you know, trying to set this 
this team up for a run to Omaha, but you're also trying to get some young guys in and giving them experience, giving them some sort of confidence to play a bigger role later on. Um, so yeah, it's certainly a big thing in the major leagues as a manager trying to toe that line. Um, but I think it's even bigger in college baseball just because you have these young guys who just need the chances. You know, I think the perfect case in point that we were talking about um, is, you know, obviously Parker Messick because, you know, on opening day, he had his worst performance as a Seminole. And since then, uh, he's really picked things up and kind of, you know, produced at the level that Seminoles fans really expected because he was a highly touted prospect um, out of the Tampa area. So, um, yeah, it's just about towing that line. Um, I think that Coach Martin, I think he's done a great job of that, and the team is reaping the rewards of that. 100%. And, um, I mean, I'm just kind of looking up and down this uh, this roster, and I, I, I think Parker Messick, maybe I'm just giving an, an easy answer here, but he's somebody that I'm really excited to see. He's really come into this starting role very well, and then obviously having this two-way talent. I think he's somebody that I, I, I'm really quite excited to watch the rest of the year. And then even, um, you know, maybe it's just we share a first name. I, I, I don't know. Logan Lacey is somebody as well who I think has really just kind of been a consistent, you know, he's been kind of playing at the top and the bottom of the order. Um, you know, he can really kind of go. Um, he can come up in big spots, you know, no matter where he might be. So I guess, you know, I would close with that. And then I'll, I'll kind of flip the question over to you as we get moving in this season, is there anybody, those would be guys I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking at and I'm excited to see, you know, that are kind of filling in, you know, you know stepping into their shoes, so to speak. Um, is there anybody for, for you that you might, you might say that? Well, somebody that, you know, I think is going to pick things up is Reese Albert, obviously been, you know, somebody mm -hmm. who's, you know, he's been such an integral part of this team for the last few years. I think it's just a matter of time, for him to, you know, get things going again and to rise that batting average. Cause I don't think it's going to get much lower than what it is right now. Um, you know, obviously somebody like Tyler Martin has been so consistent, Tyler Martin, Robbie Martin, um, you know, I expect them to kind of continue that consistency as the year goes on. Um, but yeah, it's just about the usual suspects really kind of getting back to the level that we've seen like a Reese Albert. And then obviously the most, <laughs> the most obvious one, Chase Haney. Um, but yeah, as I said, is there, there are a bunch of different rankings in college baseball, but generally Florida State's in the top 20. I assume the goal is, you know, to host a super regional. Um, and if they keep this momentum going, I would not be surprised if that ends up being the case. Certainly. And then I guess somebody that, that I would also mention is uh, Vince Smith. You know, we saw him get a couple of starts early in the season. I mean, he's a freshman, but um, I think, you know, and, and maybe he might be in the, in the doghouse a little bit because he's made a few errors to start the season. He's at five so far, but I think seeing him flash the glove, you know, when he's on, he, he is just, you know, killer at third base and on that, on that left side of the infield, he's somebody that I'd expect to see as, you know, we look further into the future. He's somebody who I think will really, really, um, make a you know just a great uh middle infielder third baseman for florida state but uh but i suppose on that note uh i mean we've kind of run through a lot here uh I, I suspect it's probably time for us to close it out so um again thomas i want to say thank you for coming on 
Uh, it's always a pleasure, and I'm excited for you next year as, uh, as you move into that editor-in-chief role. Uh, this has been another episode of uh, Talk and Shop, the uh, official podcast of the FSVU. Um, thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, hopefully you'll tune back in next week.